What's up, everyone? This is the Nuts and Bolts Podcast, and I'm your host, the one Jame here with our amazing co-host, Airball. Hey, guys. And Michael Kritz. What it do? And we're here to give you the nuts and bolts of the standard and pioneer formats each and every week. But first, let me talk to you about the sponsor of the podcast, CoolStuffInc.com. Using code JAMES5, you can save 5% off of anything in the store, sealed product, singles, anything you could ever need in Magic the Gathering, and a lot of other card games for that matter. They have it. Go save yourself some hard-earned money and go to CoolStuffInc.com com today let's start off and go to the upkeep it's our jargon of the day it's cantrip a spell that has quote-unquote draw a card tacked on as an additional effect such as consider opt and even a creature spirited companion that draws a card when it comes into play basically anything that has draw a card tacked onto it stapled on if it draws a card it, it can scry it can do whatever but as long as it draws a card it's Probably a cantrip. And you can use a cantrip as a noun that says, this is a cantrip. Or you can say it as a verb, like my spirit companion cantripped. You can use that either way. But anyways, let's go to our main phase. We're going to get through this a little bit quickly because we have a lot of cards to talk about, a lot of decks to talk about. What's working and what's not in the new format with the Brothers War just coming out for Pioneer. A little bit of modern and standard. We're going to talk about some cards. We're going to talk about some decks and things that are shaping up the meta as we see fit. Right now, let's start out with the cards. Number one, Haywire Might. This is a card I don't even think we went over in a couple episodes before. Haywire Might. It's a one-mana artifact, and you can get it out of your sideboard with Karn Great Creator and get it out and pay a green to kill an artifact or enchantment. And uh, this card is going to be is currently in Pioneer in the Karn board along with another card that I'll kind of like loop into this and we can talk about this, the Stone Brain. It's the two-mana artifact that you also get from Karn Great Creator, and I believe we talked about this a little bit extensively and how good this is gonna that this was going to be, and it turns out that it's in every single Karn sideboard now, obviously, in Pioneer Mono Green Ramp. So uh, what do you guys think about both of these inclusions? I heard somebody talk about not playing Haywire Mike because the deck, quote-unquote, doesn't need it, but it's a really, really good card and even making its way into modern Karn sideboards. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, if we're talking about Haywire Might first. Um, no, I think it's a easy auto include to most Karn wishboards, whatever format you're playing. Um, I don't really understand someone saying like this doesn't need to be included or is it auto include. Like it's just so cheap on rate. You, you bring it out. It can just beat your opponent for one if there's nothing on the board for some reason or after you like clear the board with like Ugin or something weird and you, you slap it down it's preventative that's the one thing i want to speak into it's like sometimes it could just be like super annoying because then your opponent has to like sequence things awkwardly if they had artifacts and enchantments in hand they're like i really don't want it to be mited so like it can be sometimes like a card denial in itself even when it's placed on the board i mean that's that's the the next level thing and that's all i really want to speak into but i think it's i think it's a great card yeah, I mean, in terms of, like, whether or not people uh, think that it was going to be an auto-include, yeah, probably. But, like, also, in terms of whether people thought it wasn't needed, it doesn't really add a whole lot of extra utility that green didn't already have access to. It's just a little better, I think, than the artifact and enchantment removal that green already had access or, or just, yeah, artifact and enchantment removal that green already had access to. So, yeah, you definitely play it because it's better than anything you had before, but how much does it move the needle? I, I don't actually know yet. I haven't had a chance to play around with it. I mean, the, the thing that does kind of what this does is like 
what meteor golem that was in the sideboard before but you even have the new card cityscape leveler that is also making its way into mono green devotion sideboards and pioneer as a just way better version of meteor golem it's one more mana but what's one more mana when you're playing mono green devotion and it makes like 40 mana a turn with with Nykthos and everything and it's an 8-8 trample as opposed to a 3-3 without trample and it also works when it attacks also so it gives mono green a different access access to win off of when it's just when it might be just treading water doing not too much when it can't find their copies of Karn or, or other copies of Karn or other copies of Kiora or whatever to keep the the resources flowing uh, but the stone brain I think has in mono green devotion for sure in pioneer has even changed the way the deck wins the game right they 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 can loop stone brain a number of times in a row where you don't even need to do the cauldron thing anymore I've seen um I think Stonebrain is going to trick a lot of like intermediate new like newer like beginner to intermediate players in some senses because it's like this Stonebrain will solve all my problems and um if you don't know how to be proactive while also playing the Stonebrain I think it can get you but I think the Stonebrain's super powerful like if you're able to leverage it to like you know um to its medium level or even above medium level, it's going to work out like so well for you. But I think if you, if you're not respecting what your opponent's doing and also not being proactive, I think it could be some sort of like a gotcha card. You're like this, this, this isn't working how I want it to, and and losing games. So I think it's something to, you know, uh, pay attention to as you play it for sure. Yeah. All right. Let's go yeah. ahead and go over to another card. Let's talk about Third Path Iconoclast. And this card this card is really good in a lot of different decks. And we'll talk about a couple decks that can go in a little bit later. But Third Path Iconoclast is a card that has made its way into modern. I saw I Andrea Mangucci playing this in a uh in a modern shell. It was a blue red deck, but it utilizes Third Path Iconoclast and it utilized the fact that it makes artifact tokens and it played a whole bunch of artifacts under these and stuff. So this is a card that I think could shape up a lot of things. And there's even a deck in modern being talked about right now called like eight Pyromancer or something like that with, th with four third path iconoclasts and four Pyromancers for young Pyromancers. So uh, how do you see third path iconoclasts kind of shaping, shaping, shaking up modern a little bit and adding another kind of access, access to the format? Um, no, I, I think it's good. I think it's, it's a, it's a different angle for some of these decks who are trying to, um, you know, uh, changing their game plans as far as like uh, being proactive because another angle of being proactive, a lot of the is it decks that aren't like Merktide um, sometimes have a hard time trying to make sure that they can attack from different angles. So you have, I also watched Mason Clark along with uh, Jesse Robkin. They were playing on Mason Clark stream and he's playing, you know, Breach, uh, which is a really resilient deck with third clap or third. Sorry, third path iconoclast, and the other uh, deck you were mentioning with uh, Andrea Mangucci was really good, and Aspiring Spike had a, a brew as well, and so it's like giving all these decks like another angle to attack from, which uh, some other decks in modern have a hard time dealing with. So. Yeah, for yeah, third, yeah, uh, yeah. What do you what do you think, Airball, about implications of this card in other formats other than standard? Yeah, I don't play a whole lot of modern, but I do love cards like this that. In in like a weird roundabout way, they enable the all in strategies that you see in like decks that focus heavily on the graveyard. Like Arclight Phoenix focuses heavily on using the graveyard, 
to its advantage, right? And it uses a bunch of cantrips in order to do that. And then the opponent for games two and three has access to graveyard hate, rest in peace, uh, unlicensed hurts, that kind of thing. And if Arclay Phoenix didn't have a game two and three game plan against those kind of cards, it would be totally unplayable. But now that you have a proactive threat uh, that you can stick on the board in games two and three, it, I, I think, increases the diversity in the format in a good way by making all-in strategies playable in game one, because you can shift strategies post-board. So Pioneer has already had Young Pyromancer, right? So what is, yes. what is the difference of having that card and Third Path Icono class? Are you playing both now? I think you probably are. Um, I, th I think that, um, there's, mm, I don't know, Phoenix probably only needs four copies of this effect, but I think that there are other decks that might want more than that. Um, it, it depends on how heavily you're invested in super cheap spells. And maybe in Pioneer, the density of those super cheap spells isn't enough to make these kinds of effects worth it. But as you get older in Magic, as you like, as the formats get older, if you have Modern, you have Legacy, and almost everything just costs one mana, the effects that reward the number of spells that you cast become that much more important and that much more impactful. So I don't play Modern or Legacy, but I can I feel like th that's those are the formats where this would make the greatest impact, having more than four copies of this effect. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that working, and just a, definitely a really powerful card coming out of the new set. Uh, let's talk about a couple cards that are that might go in a mono black shell or in a Rakdos midrange that is already at the top of the leaderboards in Pioneer. Go for the Throat and Misery Shadow. Go for the Throat is a card that is all over the place in Standard. Almost everyone's switching to that card over Infernal Grasp and Cutdown. People are playing like four of this and then two Cutdown and two... And, and, and two Infernal Grasp, or maybe four... I've seen even decks playing four Go for the Throat and four Infernal Grasp and just cutting Cutdown altogether. But I even put Go for the Throat in my Pioneer Rakdos midrange deck over Dreadbore because I think the having the instant speed interaction against decks like Greasefang is very valuable, and the only real artifact creature that you care about is, is the uh, Skyship, the boat. And that's a really big problem. So maybe in that case, you do want to play a card like Heartless Act in the board for a card like that, or maybe just a Braid. I do have a Braid in my sideboard right now. But I have four Go for the Throats in the main deck, and it's been really, really good in the tournaments that I've played, and I really haven't missed Dreadbore at all. The only time I really would miss Dreadbore is against Mono Green Devotion, being able to kill Kiora or something. But, I mean, you can always just attack and kill things like that. But um, as far as Go for the Throat is concerned, we'll talk about, we'll talk about that first before we go to Misery Shadow. And I'll go to Michael Kritz for the Rakdos Gang Gang conversation. Uh, are, you, I... are you playing this card in your Rakdos deck? It will be in my deck. Uh, I haven't been able to play Paper Pioneer yet. If I play Omiko, this at least one copy will, one to two copies. Um, I know you're high up on the card. I think for me, probably one to two copies because I like that Dreadbore can hit Planeswalkers, which, you know, can be a problem in Pioneer. But I do really like what Go for the Throat is doing, enabling. You know, it's it's kind of like a modern-day Doomblade. Um, we can have the... What, what a Doomblade is in one of our Jargon episodes, but... Um, I, I really like Go for the Throw. It's it's a it's an amazing uh, choice for a lot of these decks as a, another way to deal with uh, what people have going on. Yeah, what do you think about this, Erwal? Yeah, well, I'm I'm definitely going to get a play set of them um, because I never got my Heartless Acts, acts back from you after Summit. Oh my god, I saw so, the Heartless Acts and I was like, no, I have your dresses too. Mm -hmm. 
additionally, the ones are I'm, I got the ones for my mono black list, and uh, I have the ones from the what is the 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 Warhammer one? Because it's like you can play different versions of. The oh same, yeah, the Go like, for the Throat from that too. Yeah, so I got four copies of the Warhammer one from Card Kingdom. So, <laughs> um, well. Yeah, I, I forgot to give those back to you when I was leaving because I had to leave pretty early on that on Sunday instead of leaving Monday like I wanted to. But I do have your heartless acts and I do have yeah. your duresses. Yeah, I was going to say you were under duress. I was under like duress. duress. Cars, you did not get back to me. Yeah, that's true. I saw them and I was like, uh, "Wait, those are definitely airballs." A hundred percent. Yes, <laughs> and I'm never seeing them again. You're, you're literally you're uh, never seeing them again. I'm selling them actually. No, I'm not. <laughs> but I uh, to to your point about Dreadbore versus um, Go for the Throat. I saw your poll on this on Twitter, but I didn't see the result. When I voted for Go for the Throat as the card I would more want in my in my Rakdos deck, uh, it was losing at the time. What ended up happening with that? Poll? Oh, it was a massive landslide loss for Go for the Throat. Or, it just everyone loved so Dreadbore. Every, it was like seventy-seven percent Dreadbore, like twenty-three percent uh, Go for the Throat. And I feel like that's bizarre because, like, it's an instant and it costs one and a black and not red black. Like, I feel like being a sorcery is just such a huge downside in a deck where you, in, mean, in a deck yeah. like Rakdos where you want to see what your opponent, what angle your opponent wants to shoot from on their turn and then punish their angle. Well, especially because the things that go for the throat misses on the artifact creatures, their vehicles, the dreadboard doesn't hit anyway. Like, yeah, it's yeah. such a bizarre. Uh, I, I'm not a Rakdos player, really. I, I dabble, but it, it's bizarre to me that people like Dreadbore in a deck where the main plan for dealing with Planeswalkers is just to attack them down. Yeah, the only Planeswalker that you can't attack down is Kiora. Like, Teferi, you can attack Teferi Hero Dominary, you can attack down Narset, you can attack down Wandering Emperor, you can attack down uh, Karn Great Creator, you always attack down because you always have a three-power creature after they minus it once, which puts it on three loyalty. Uh, like... You're attacking down almost every Planeswalker that's in the meta. And with the only exception of Kiora, which is why I currently have like one copy of Dreadbore in my whole entire 75, because sure, I can hit a Kiora every once in a while, but maybe I put one Heartless Act in and, and like an, a Braid just because I can hit the Skyship. But yeah, because you have the Heartless Acts now. Yeah, because I, I own them now. I Correct. own them, they're mine. <laughs> no, but but yeah, to your point, Dreadbore can't hit the vehicles anyway unless they block with it first, and they don't want to put they they already think you have Dreadbore in your deck, so they don't want to like crew to block with the ship because you could, because it could get Dreadbore, so they just never block with it. So it was super interesting that that a lot of people on Twitter and this poll got like hundreds of votes, and it was seventy seven percent against Go for the Throat. Yeah, I, mean, I I think I'll just chalk it up to them not knowing. They don't understand. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the people who are wrong. Yeah, yeah they're wrong. I I can't be wrong. All right, let's move on to Misery Shadow. This is a card that I I think I I'm not playing this card right now because um I I'm still playing Kalidus. I guess you could play both, but uh, for Misery Shadow, I don't know if it's making its way into modern. But I'll go to you, Michael. First, are you seeing this in Rakdos decks popping up? Uh, yeah. I mean, like same. To quote this, or to, to reference the same person, Eli Loveman had it in his deck for the RC, and he got to the top eight, I believe. And so, I think, right, a lot of people look at the um, you need to you need to take in the the creature for both the things it does, and not just for the one. And so, yes, it does exile your your opponent's creatures, 
but um the thing that is really awesome too is it's a good mana sink like if you're not you know rakdos one powerful thing about rakdos is it has many ways to use its mana and so and it, and that it thus smooths out what you're doing each turn it maximizes you know your your turns and you know being able to you know leverage that misery shadow to attack with it and it makes your opponent's blocks very awkward and then you can choose to pump or not pump or you know it, it gives your main phase two so much more you know room to breathe because your opponent doesn't know what to do they don't know to remove the misery like they don't know how to deal with misery shadow and blocks so then it sets you up for having more smoother turns whether that's leveraging mana and pumping you know misery shadow or if it's using mana in your second main phase because your opponent didn't respond or tried to block your misery shadow so i think you need to take the creature in as a twofold thing and i think a lot of people are like oh it just exiles i'm like no 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 it's it's doing it's doing double duty yeah i i can definitely see that like it, it if i'm getting attacked from a misery shadow and my opponent has like three mana open because they just played their land on turn three like i'm never blocking whether whereas if that's like a different creature i might block or if if opponent has three mana open and I'm attacking with my three three graveyard trespasser, I'm also not attacking. <laughs> so it like it like it makes it hard to attack and also kind of makes it hard to block. So it's like it just makes it super awkward. I, how do you feel about this card, Airball? Yeah, I feel like this card is actually a lot better in like standard than it is in Pioneer, only because uh, of exactly what Michael's saying, that it's a good mana sink and it's an effective way to use your mana when you don't otherwise have a good way to, to use it, right? Rakdos right now, there's no shortage of things to do in Pioneer for the most part. Um, but in standard, where you don't have a whole lot of utility lands, uh, if you're playing mono black or something like that, then you often do just have three, four, five mana to pump into this in the late game, and all of a sudden it's just a seven-seven, uh, just doming your opponent. It, it, this card has impressed me more than most other cards, and I think I missed on it. Additionally, something I do want to add is, and it's something that you don't quite understand either by looking at the card. I'm saying, you know, y'all, not not y'all, but the royal y'all. Yeah, it couldn't be me. Never be but the the other thing it does, even especially in arena, is it conceals information because you can activate it at any time. Your and if you have open mana, your your opponent doesn't know whether that mana is is you know whether you're you're there's a stop or something happening because you have a spell in hand or you can pump misery shadow. And the weird way, starting from game round or starting from turn two, it really like really puts the emphasis on your your opponent knowing you know how to read you, knowing to read the meta. And it, it it just it's just an amazing card. I think it's doing more than people realize. Yeah, in, in standard, there is the like most powerful mana sync possible, I think, in mono black already, and that's the one mana one one that can pump itself and have it like evolve and give death touch and start drawing mm -hmm. cards. Like like I would rather put my mana into that than pump it into Mr. Oh, sure. Shadow, but now you have another thing to pump your mana into. So like you're always using all of your mana every turn. So yeah. that's, that's a really nice thing to be doing when you're, when you're playing Standard. All right, and we've talked about some cards that we think will impact other formats and impact Standard. Let's talk about some decks that have arisen from the new set. Number one, uh, not, it, this is in no particular order, but we'll talk about Jun Sacrifice. There's a card called Teething Worm that I know we went over. It's a one mana, one one worm. And every time an artifact enters the battlefield, you put a plus one, plus one counter, counter on it. That, that can only happen once per turn, but... Every time an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, not once per turn, you gain one life. Uh, so it taking, it's taking advantage of 
Um, enter the battlefield triggers of artifacts and um, Jund Anvil Sacrifice definitely does that, putting artifacts on the battlefield every turn, utilizing blood tokens, utilizing Anvil 1-1 Construct artifact tokens. There's also a new card called Skyfisher Spider that is really good as well. And you can, this is in Jund, so you're, you're playing Fable the Mirror Breaker in red, so you can copy Skyfisher Spider with Reflection of Kikijiki uh, and get more triggers off of it. And what it does is, I know we didn't go over this in when we uh, previewed the set in the past couple episodes, because it is an uncommon, I believe, but it's a four mana, three, three Golgari uh, spider. It has reach and it says when it enters the battlefield, you can sacrifice a creature. And then if you do sacrifice a creature, you can target a non-land permanent and destroy it. So non-land permanent. So it destroys a wedding announcements, planeswalkers, anything. It, Shieldred, and then you can copy it a bunch of times and sacrifice your anvil construct tokens and do it again, and then do it again, and then do it again. So it's it's almost unlimited uh, non-land permanent destruction. And also when it goes to the graveyard, when it dies, um, you can gain life equal to the amount of creatures in your graveyard and exile Skyfisher Spider. So uh, I think with both of these cards, it really does put Jun Sacrifice on the map and at least something to consider when you're building your decks. Maybe not. Maybe it's not tier one. Maybe it's not S tier, but it is a deck that you will have to look out for. Um, what do you think, uh, both of you, about this Jun Sacrifice deck popping up? Um, I don't know. I think I think it's a fun deck. I think maybe it just needs to be explored some more, and hopefully there's more to it. Um, I just. I know it's competing with Rakdos Sacrifice and Grixis Sacrifice, and um, if it can find a way to kind of line line up its cards or have uh, something else that the the other decks can't do, uh, it might be more powerful or equally powerful, like maybe leveraging the Spider more somehow, or um, some other cards that the deck has, like the Teething, uh, the, the Teething, teething Worm. Mana. Yeah, Teething Worm. Like maybe if there's ways to really uh, make the deck more efficient to operate around those two things, additionally with your your sacrifice um, engine and outlets, then uh, I'm curious to see where the deck heads. So yeah, yeah. If you if you have if you have uh, Oni Cult Anvil with like a Teething Worm and a Skyfisher Spider on the board, you are like cooking. You are destroying your opponent at that point because you're making you're making a new artifact every turn, triggering the teething worm, putting a plus one plus one counter on it, gaining a life, sacrificing with Skyfisher Spider, killing stuff your opponent controls. So there's a lot there's a lot going on, and the board can get really scary really fast. Um, what is your like bird's eye view, Airball? Yeah, um, so this card reminds me a lot in context of the Ravenous Squirrel. It's like Ravenous Squirrel at home mm -hmm. from the Jun Sacrifice deck in Historic. I don't think it has a home other than the Rakdos lists in the format right now. And so I think most of the power in the deck still comes from the Anvil core. And so I think when you're evaluating Jund, you need to evaluate how good you think the Anvil core is in the meta. And right now, there's a lot of, like, uh, there's a lot of white, there's a lot of temporary lockdown and sideboards that I'm seeing. Uh, and that card just absolutely hoses the Anvil base strategies. It's also, you know, Cat Oven, it is not. It doesn't put as much pressure on um, these big over-the-top strategies that are starting to pop up with um, putting big permanents into play. Um, and it, it relies kind of heavily on uh, Graveyard Synergies as well. Um, and Grixis is, is uh, one of the best decks in the format and is pretty good at dealing with that. So I don't have a whole lot of faith in this deck as long as there's good cheap removal and incidental graveyard hate everywhere. Um, but maybe that changes. Yeah, for sure. Actually, there's a card that we didn't mention yet 
Uh, it's the Mishra's research desk, which is a, a big part of this deck as well. Being an artifact, being card advantage, look at the top two cards, get a card. You can uh, up until you're the end of your next turn, you can play the card, and then you can um, basically uh, what unearth it for unearth it for one and a red to do it again. So this deck might have a little bit more like raw card advantage than the deck we're going to talk about next is Grixis Sacrifice. This is a, a, a similar shell, but it. it uh, utilizes the third path iconoclast that we talked about earlier to make additional copies of uh one one artifact tokens and it makes them way easier and easier meaning free every time you cast a non-creature spell you get a free one one off of the third path iconoclast instead of having to like use an ability like oni cult anvil even though you will be playing oni cult anvil in the deck and grixis is already a really good shell to play in standard um, what do we think Grixis Sacrifice is better than John? Yeah, you do get the Teething Worm. Yeah, you do get the Skyfisher Spider if you're playing green. But if you're playing blue, you do get this, that third path Iconoclast, which is a very strong card. So which way are, are you leaning between the two decks, Michael? I would go with Grixis Sacrifice. It has kind of, uh, you know, it has so much things that it's it's doing uh, by turn two. Once you're, well, turn two, turn three is the, the, the key things. You play a third party Iconoclast. You know, you can follow it up with uh, a various amount of things that starts happening like fable the mirror breaker off. yeah i was about to say it triggers off if fable the mirror breaker turn four you you have a sahili or turn four you can you know play a oni cult or a mishra's desk and now you're having creatures and so you're creating virtual card advantage every time you you get another token from third party iconoclast and you start leveraging that virtual card advantage in many different ways this deck has great ways to you know use that virtual card advantage to turn into real card advantage and those are things that those are powerful things you you want to see uh sahili is a house it, it it's just it's wild like you you tap an untap artifact you control if you do draw a card like you just tap one of the soldiers that you just made like that's wild um so i think be, because this deck is uh it just has so much synergies going on. And I think I watched a couple of streamers play this. I mean, it's kind of reminding me of like modern type of card draw or like any sort of decks that have like a wild amount of card draw. Like you almost see half your deck every game, which is like, that's a very powerful thing to do in magic. If you're getting close to seeing half your deck every game, you're probably doing something like extremely strong. Yeah. One, one thing I noticed with the Grixis Sacrifice deck is that when you have Sahili on the board, and we were, I was talking about this when we were previewing the set, but I, I thought Sahili was going to be really good, and it impressed me when I was playing it. Um, what do you think about this Grixis Sacrifice deck, Airball? Yeah, I mean, specifically as to comparing it to Jund, I think the important difference is that in both cases, you're putting a lot of extra power on the board. Like, either you have the Worm that gets really big, or you have the Iconoclast, which goes really wide. And I think in general, it's better to go wide than big uh, with, in a format that has a lot of single-target removal. So, like, go for the Throating the Worm, great go for the go for the throating a token not nearly as great so that's a big deal and also the cards that make the Rakdos core very sad um are sorcery speed and kind of expensive farewells temporary lockdowns and having access to spell pierce which i think is quite good in the meta right now is a pretty big deal um so in a mid-rangey to controly meta having access to blue i think is an enormous deal uh, and also sahili of course is really good as well at diversifying your threat base yep um, I, I guess the only up the upside of the upside of Grixis is yes having those counter spells to be really good against you know those temporary lockdowns and 
and farewells. And then in Jund, you have the ability to kill more non-land permanents than you do playing Grixis with being able to use that Skyfish or Spider. So uh, it's just a matter of what you want, how the meta shapes up. But I do think personally that Grixis is a little bit better because if you're playing Jund and you get farewelled, you just lose. <laughs> like <laughs> there's nothing there is to it. Like you gotta has to you gotta mm-hmm. hold cards in your hand to build your board back up after farewell, or you're just like be prepared to lose. But I guess you can you can try to use duress and get it out of their hand before they cast it. But that doesn't you can't you know what that old saying in mid range decks you can't thought seize the top of your opponent's deck. Um, mm-hmm. Let's move on to the next the next uh, deck we're gonna talk about. We have uh, three more decks to go over. Azorius Soldiers. This is a deck that we that like everybody knew was gonna be really good coming out of the new set. And uh, cards like Siege Veteran and Harbin are cards that have put this deck over the top, I think, as a contender in standard. Azorius Soldiers, I've lost many times playing a control deck against Azorius Soldiers and sweeping them and then building the board right back up. Siege Veteran makes 1-1 tokens for each non- non-token creature that dies. So you can sweep the board and they can still kill you. And the the uh, Lord from the uh, comes back from the graveyard as pumping up your entire team plus one plus one counters, and it's not just plus one plus one for the whole turn. It's plus one plus one counters. Um, there's a lot of ways that they can come back after they're swept, and they also can take over the game when they're not swept with a lot of flyers, a lot of draw power, and then Harbin closing the deal with five or more creatures attack that gives it plus one plus oh and flying to the whole board. So, um, have you played against Azorius Soldiers at all, or played with it, Michael? And if so, what's your take on this going forward in Standard? So update, listeners, I'm playing Standard. Hey, let's freaking go. <laughs> I'm playing Mono Black. Um, so I... I All right, no, let's, let's not go. Is, no, let's not freaking no, go. No, but, but speaking speaking into what's going on here, I play Mono Black against Zora Soldiers, I think, once or twice. I I bodied them. Um, but these are decks that I'm used to playing, like a, a mid-range type of thing, and Mono Black is mid-range aggro. So... I think Azorius Soldiers is, is is a powerful thing. I think it's one of those things where it's a deck that checks um can you can you interact with us profitably? Can you can you deal with the creatures that we're putting out or can you outvalue them? And if that's a no to your deck or no to your opening hand, I agree with what you're saying. Like Azorius Soldiers is gonna run you over. But if you can meet that check, you know, it's hard for them to kind of um you know, maneuver around that or to try and, you know, play their deck in a certain way where they don't get got by certain things. So um, I think it's a powerful deck. And I think uh, maybe if they do some tuning uh, to figure out how efficient it can get and how good the synergies can be, I think it'd be a, a very dangerous deck. So it's something I'm keeping my eye on. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, Azoria Soldier still has cards like Thalia, Guardian of Thraben, and... and uh... mm-hmm. They still have Brutal Cathar, so there's a lot of cards that are still being played that are very good cards. Um, what's your take on Azorius Soldiers, Airball? Yeah, so I ran into it once uh, in the TCG Showdown tournament this past weekend, and I was playing Grixis. And I think that matchup is quite good for Grixis, which I think is a problem for Soldiers in the meta, because Grixis is friggin' everywhere right now. Mm-hmm. Um, in the tournament, five of the top eight lists were Grixis. Uh, in my latter experience, it's uh, Grixis is about 25% of the meta that I run into. Uh, it's insanity. Grixis is everywhere, and this deck just doesn't deal with it super well. Um, Thalia is great at taxing removal spells, but Grixis right now in standard just gets on the board, and Corpse Appraiser is such a beating for this deck. You talked about um, soldiers being able to rebuild from having their board taken apart. A lot of that relies on the, the uh, value that comes from the graveyard, and Corpse Appraiser just literally eats that for breakfast. Um, 
also they have very it's hard for them to deal with a resolved shieldred uh it's one of the only decks actually that does have a problem right now dealing with a resolved shieldred yeah um, i mean outside of brutal cathar and, but yeah outside of brutal cathar but it's not brutal cathar is not really a deck a card that that deck wants to bring in against you if you're playing grixis because all of your creatures etb with value and you don't have a problem killing the cathar with single target removal later so overall i think the matchup is quite good and i think that's a problem for soldiers however my god, can that deck kill you out of nowhere if yes. you're not expecting it? Yes. I I lay, I was uh, I was playing game one against the deck and I did some math. I'm like at nineteen or something. And I figured that in the worst case, if my opponent um manages to uh manages to deal with my board, I'm gonna take fourteen. So I have enough time to land to fairy and then wipe the board the following turn and everything will be fine. And they cast a Lord and Harbin, and everything jumps over my flyers, uh, over <laughs> yeah. my creatures, yeah. and I'm just dead. <laughs> like, from, from friggin' 19 with a resolve to fairy <laughs> that had minus to make a, a token. Like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> oh, so I, I didn't make that mistake again. Um, and I, I, I do think that the deck can't get any better. It's one of these tribal decks that doesn't really have much room to improve as the format goes on, because all of the decisions are sort of made for you by wizards in terms of deck construction. So it is what it is, and the meta will adapt to it, and it won't be able to adapt back. So I think this is as good as it's going to get, and it's already not good enough. Not super thrilled with the deck. I, I think mm -hmm. one thing it can do to a deck back is like the deck isn't playing enough protect negotiators or spell pierce that we talked about before, and it could definitely play those cards. Yeah, the it, the person I was playing against was running like four copies of the new God's Willing spell. Um, oh, there's that one card mana, too. Yeah, hexproof. Yeah, and that was a problem for me. Um, I had to really slog through a bunch of the uh, copies of those cards, but um, most lists I've seen are not running four copies of it. Yeah, so I still think that it's still a deck that you should have on your mind, and if you aren't prepared for it, it can kill you from 19 out. <laughs> yeah. um, let, let's go ahead and go over to the next uh, deck. There's a couple decks you can play this 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 package in. I'm going to call it a package. Repair and Recharge, Portal to Phyrexia, and One with the Multiverse. Repair and Recharge gets back an Artifact or Enchantment or Planeswalker from the Graveyard, and you make and you make a uh, a token, uh, the, the Power Stone token. Um, you can bring back Portal to Phyrexia, the 9-mana card that may on, enter the battlefield trigger makes your opponent sacrifice 3 creatures, and every, every one of your upkeeps, you get to put a creature from any graveyard onto your battlefield. With one with the Multiverse, it lets you cast cards off the top of your deck and play lands on the top of your deck, as long as you have the mana to pay for them, but once per turn on your turn, you can use, you can pay 0 mana for whatever spell you want. So, And if you have multiple of these on the battlefield, it just gets out of hand. And there's uh, there's de definitely decks that have done this. There's a I played a deck on my personal YouTube channel that is a Jeskai list. Play that list on Cool Stuff Inc.'s YouTube channel as well. Um, there was also a deck from Ali Eldrazi that came out on his YouTube channel and also on the CoolStuffInc.com channel that was one with the multiverse with Portal to Phyrexia and Repair and Recharge. And there's also builds that are two colored that are playing the Invoke uh, Invoke. The invoke that brings it back. I forgot what the exact name justice. of the invoke is. Which what was it? Ju justice. Yeah, invoke, invoke justice. justice that brings back Portals of Rexia and one with the multiverse, basically cheating out these big eight and nine mana cards. Uh, it is very susceptible to graveyard hate with graveyard trespasser and things like that. But um, the Grixis card that you're talking about only exiles creatures that play, is played in the, in the in that deck, so it doesn't actually deal with the Portals of Rexia or one with the multiverse in the graveyard. Do we think this deck is a contender? I think it's a contender. I think it you had kind of have to keep it in, in the back of your mind on your radar. So starting with Michael, what do you think of this deck that is trying to go over the top with huge spells? Um, 
I'm curious to see how it does like a week or two from now. I think it's a good deck for, you know, we have to acknowledge like we're kind of one to two weeks into a, a new set. And so, um, you know, you can do a little bit more the the fun the fun stuff and the fun stuff can be serious. And, you know, I kind of wait two weeks to kind of like sit on it, see if it, it, it really like stays around or adapts to how things are adapting to it. But I, I agree, like, this is a great deck out of the gate. I think you're going to have a lot of fun. If it's something that you love doing, like playing over the, the top spells, I think you should be playing this um, while while the getting's good and maybe the getting stays good. So I, I think it's, I, I've been watching some streams and watching it being played out and I think it's it's a good time. And I think at, at, at this moment, it is a solid, it's, it's, a, it's a solid deck to be playing at this moment. Whether that is the case one to two weeks from now, uh, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of cards that put it in the graveyard as well. Like Fable the Mirror Breaker can discard these cards to bring them back with repair and recharge. Yeah, you can bring oh, yeah. you can bring Portal to Phyrexia or Moment the Multiverse back as early as turn four if you play Fable the Mirror Breaker. Um, you can also use um, faith, uh, Faithful Mending, Faithful Spending, the Mending card, Faithful, faithful, faithful Mending. mending yeah. to, to, <laughs> I do not know card names. Anyway, um, that's like a theme of this podcast. Uh, anyway, um, you can use Faithful Mending to discard the cards and bring them back with Repair and Recharge or Invoke. Um, are you, have you played against this deck, Airball? Have you played with it or with with these cards? I, and what, what's your what's your take on it? I spent a lot of today playing with uh, some Boros Invoke Justice decks. I did two main versions. I did the one you're talking about, with which uh, is focused on bringing back the artifact cards. And I did, I also played with the one that was more from last standard with Sanctuary Warden, Wandering Emperor, AO, that kind of thing. And I think that the version that's putting giant permanence into play is a lot better against Grixis. So like if Grixis is everywhere like it is right now, it has a very hard time dealing with resolved enchantments. Um, and it only has good ways to deal with artifacts if it's running a braid, which many lists are not. Um, so Grixis is a mid-rangey deck that doesn't have a great clock on you, so put so going way over the top is a pretty good strategy with respect to that. Um, it is incredibly dependent on resolving five mana spells. So if Mono Blue comes back into standard, or if Make Disappear becomes a bigger thing, then all of a sudden um, I think the big mana version uh, goes out of style a little bit. It's also much more vulnerable to graveyard hate. If people bring in graveyard trespassers, if bring, people bring in unlicensed hearses, it's kind of difficult uh, for this deck to adapt to that. It's, it's a much more all-in version. Whereas the Invoke Justice decks that focus on bringing back things like Sanctuary Warden get all the benefits of getting access to like laydown arms um, with the ability to actually just cast their spells from hand perfectly reasonably, right? Like you can cast Invoke Justice um, to bring, bring AO back from your graveyard, or you can just cast the damn thing from hand. And if you cast AO from hand and the opponent counters it, then you get to cast your Invoke Justice the next turn. Um, I think that overall, I think the second version with the Sanctuary Wardens is better because it's more resilient to aggro and it's better against Esper. So against the wider meta, I think it's a little better, even though the version you're talking about is better against Grixis. Yeah, I mean, I mean if, if you're going to a big tournament and you're expecting to play against Grixis like 40% of your rounds... Like, it's definitely something that you should consider whether you want to play the Portal to Phyrexia 1 with the Multiverse build, or if you want to be better prepared against aggro decks like the one we're going to talk about. Oh, did you see that transition? That was awesome. Anyway. Oh, uh, that was beautiful. It was, oh my gosh, so beautiful. I'm working on it, and it worked that time. Uh, acknowledging it makes it worse. Anyway, Mono Red Aggro um, is getting better with uh, Monastery Swiss Beer. 
Um, I've definitely died on turn four <laughs> against this car. When they do Swiss Beer turn one, and then turn two, like a second Swiss Beer, and then they go like play with fire your face, and all of a sudden you just take in like seven. Dan- You're at, like thirteen in this turn two. Um, Run Swiss Beer's course. It's very iconic. It's played in a lot of formats. Played in Modern Burn. It's played in Pioneer, but now it's in Standard, and it has skyrocketed the win rate of Mono Red. Um, mm-hmm. in the, in, there's hundreds, hundreds of matches that have been, that have been going on on arena and best of three and mono red aggro right now sitting at like a 63% win rate, which is crazy. When you think about all of the, the life gain that's potentially in standard right now with, with, and there's a lot of sweepers, there's a lot of, um, you know, temporary lockdown type effects that are going to come down post sideboard against mono red, but mono red just kills you. Like there's play with fire, lightning strike. There's a bunch of really powerful, really aggressive cards in mono red. Um, Michael, have you played against this deck? Have you played with it? What, what's going on with Mono Red right now? I have no idea actually what's going on with Mono Red. The thing about Mono Red though is that like, if it exists in a format, it's very great and very healthy for the format because you know it. it it's it's one of those things that other decks need to make sure that they're prepared for, and Mono Red will check that. Like, are you not interacting until turn three? All right, well you're probably gonna die turn four or turn five. Like, that's on you, and like that makes decks become more efficient it it you know this is just like overall like you know how magic metas work and so like a mono red deck existing in a meta is usually going to be a pretty decent and good meta as much as people want to complain about it so i haven't looked at it as much and i'm i'm just trying to like scroll here is it is it a is it a big mana type of thing or big red because i see like i know no. it's aggro but i also see I, like i made a meme red. big red version on on my youtube channel but um, this one is Monastery Swiss Beer. It's um, Kumano faces Kakazan, Lightning Strike. It's just, it's just, it, it has uh, has freaking Play with Fire, um, Thundering Raiju as the top end. It's got the where the three mana Werewolf that gives things haste. It's got the mm-hmm. two mana three one that uh, makes things not be able to block. That has less power than it, and you can pump that up with Raiju or Kumano faces Kakazan. You, Listen, have, you also I, have you, you also have bloodthirsty adversary. That's a very powerful, very powerful card. You have uh, Phoenix Chick in there as well. If you wanted to play that, there's a lot of a lot of cards that really get in there for a lot of damage for sure. Turn one Kamano. I'm a fan. It just it's so good. Like it's just so good. If you ever play two Kamanos in a game and you're mono red and you're beating face, like you just you win those games. Like it, it's just so good. It, it happens a lot. Like turn one Kumano into turn two Swiss Beer. Put a counter on it from Kumano's second thing, and then cast another Kumano and then pump it up again. Like you're just you're you're just dead. And so I definitely <laughs> agree with what you're talking about, especially with mono red and Azorius Soldiers being decks that you have to prepare for. It will really make the removal spells have to be like bolted surge and other copies of one mana spells like um cut down maybe maybe might maybe people might even trim down on more informal grasps and some go for the throats and put in some more one mana interaction to get rid of like thalia and the one drops and swiss beer and the phoenix trick right possibly yeah uh i i agree with a lot of what you're saying i did not see any mono red and best of three on the ladder I didn't see any of it in the tournament this past weekend, but I believe you when you say there are stats because you have no reason to lie to me and you wouldn't hurt me like that. Um, I Except for when I do hurt you like that. It, well, we don't talk about that. That's not <laughs> oh, for the public okay. to find out about. Right. Mm. Um, I, I, think I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying. Uh, I just want to also add that I think uh, monocolor decks got a pretty compelling reason to play them instead of multicolor aggro decks in the current format with Mistress Foundry. Yes. Uh, the Mutavault-esque land. Um, 
it used to just suck to play monocolor decks because there was no good reason to play them. You could splash another color. There were no good utility lands to pay off uh, a monocolored aggro, uh, a monocolored uh, mana base, and also um, there weren't any good aggro decks in the format really. So the pain lands painting you for one every time you used them was not really all that big a deal. But now you might die if you use those pain lands too often. So mm -hmm. there, I think there's a, a couple good reasons to switch to monocolored uh, decks. Yeah, I actually had to take some pain lands out of the. John Sacrifice deck that I was playing a, a little while ago because mm -hmm. I just kept dying. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it was to the Painlands. I took like two, three, four damage from Painlands over the course of the game, and that is, uh, shall I say, painful. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, that's all I wanted to cover for today. We went over some cards and decks that you probably shouldn't be thinking about going into the new set in Standard and Pioneer, maybe even a little bit of Modern. That's what's working. There's a, there's a few things that aren't working, but we might talk about next, that next week. The last thing I want to talk about is... We have to talk about it. Mono black in standard. I know, I know, Michael, you're talking about playing mono black. So uh, we talked about go for the throat and misery shadow a little bit. There's another, there's another card, Phyrexian Dragon Engine, that we can talk about a little bit as well. But talk to us about some mono black, Michael. Okay, mono black, just mm, chef's kiss. It's <laughs> honestly like everything you want to be doing in Magic, and as far as concepts and 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 efficiency and playing up the curve and doing powerful things and having what places to use your mana and being proactive and being reactive with like some of the spells it has it just it has the whole like full magic pod or full magic um swath available to you if you want to become a better player and maybe like learn how to really do everything efficiently and think through your turns i think putting some reps into mono black although it might not be your deck it might not be the most powerful deck I think we'll pay dividends. Um, there's just so much going on from turn one. You get to play your um, the sleeper card, the one mana, uh, the the black mana uh, card, which is phenomenal. Turn two, you have that three one that can't block, or you can play misery shadow. Turn three, you get get if you play Gix and you get three or four cards from your opponent, uh, you know by hitting your opponent, the game pretty much just ends, like because you've incurred such a big mana advantage and you have tempo, which is like permanence on the board. Um, it, and then you have you know your 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 top your your turn five, you have invoke despair, and you know that is you know a three for one in some cases. It's just it's just this like perfect little deck, and even though it might not be powerful and like. You know, the listeners might not be understanding it. It's just a perfect little deck of what has going on. I think it looks a little bit different from what Mono Black has looked like in Standard, um, just because it feels it feels more complete. The Mono Blacks uh, that I've seen in the past, it not that they're clunky, but their game plan was kind of loose or convoluted. This one feels very tight. It just feels like you have so much going on and so much ways to operate in any game. Your opening seven dictates how you should go through the game and um and your game plan and trying to come up with something for that where in the past like i feel like mono black's like well i really hope my hand comes together i have this opening seven and i i hope we get there where this one's like cool i got a i got a good six or a good seven let's roll uh so that's kind of how i feel about what's going on in mono black it's just it's really exciting to me yeah i think i think one of the the new cards that i've seen is frexian flesh gorger uh the seven mana I believe it's mm -hmm. like a seven four or seven five, and it's it says ward pay life equal to its power. So you definitely mm -hmm. don't want to target that thing when it's a, when yeah. it has seven power. Uh, but it, it, being yeah. a three mana three three menace lifelink, 
that has ward pay three life is still mm-hmm. is still pretty strong and, I, and i've seen it take the place of a couple copies of graveyard trespasser in the main deck too so um Man, yeah. yeah you mentioning that card though so the thing that really comes up in games is whether to play your um the graveyard trespasser or the phyrexian flesh gorger and really you should think about the game of like how is this game gonna continue forward do i want my opponent to have less cards in hand and that'll be that'll favor me or do i want my opponent to have less life and that'll favor me and usually if you answer which one of those questions that will give you a better key into which one you should play because it makes their shit like way more awkward yeah i think that's what mono black does it just makes your opponent's plays awkward we haven't even talked about Liliana of the Veil, but it seems like every time I get like a good blocker on the board against Mono Block, they just hit me with Liliana, and I'm just like, "Well, guess I lost now." It just it just mm. feels like I lost. Um, and what do you what do you think about Mono Black right now, Airball in Standard? I think Mono Black is a very difficult deck to play, but I think it's also fun for the same reasons that Michael was talking about. Um, the mono, deck, mono black decks that I've played in the past have been like historic, and those were very much mono black aggro decks. They didn't really have a great late game. The curve topped out at four, and you cast Spawn of Mayhem, and either that was going to be good enough to kill them, or you were going to lose the game on the spot. This deck can go late if it has to. Like you can cast the uh, Flesh Gorger for seven if you have to. You can play a control game with this deck. Uh, a lot of them are even running like duress in the main deck, uh, which is like not a huge, uh, not really an an aggro strategy. You could play other more aggressive creatures uh, in the main deck, especially in game one, um, if you wanted to. This deck rewards making a very early decision about whether you're going to try to get your opponent dead or whether you're going to try to survive to the late game. You need to be very good at evaluating who's the beatdown, and I think a lot of, ma- a lot of Magic players are not very good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, me in particular, I, I find it pretty. I find this deck difficult to play, uh, but it's pretty rewarding when you make the right decision early on, and you're rewarded for it later. Yeah, you, 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 Airball, always like to know who's the beatdown, and it's always your opponent. Like you, you like to know that your <laughs> opponent's the beatdown. You don't want to decide. Right. You don't want to like decide that. You want to like know that you're the control deck. Just right, be exactly. Just be inevitable, forehead. You never <laughs> <Yeah>. have to. <laughs> I can feel the inevitability. <laughs> Oh, your last pathetic card, yeah. <laughs> like, he has to decide who's the beatdown? Nah, I let my opponent decide that for me. <laughs> yeah, my, my my version of who's the beatdown, if I wrote that article, would have been much shorter. It's just you. <laughs> yeah, your, your opponent. You're like, my opponent is always the beatdown. That's it. No, That's the end of the article. Reader, it's the royal you reader. It's like, no, you're the beatdown. Yes, it's, it is it. you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that'll that'll be a good end to that, and then I'll, I'll go to the end. I'll cut back into the end. Sounds good. Thank you so much to everybody for listening, and especially those who made it this far. Make sure to give us a follow to see our next episodes. Subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at Nuts and Bolts Pod, and we'll see you in the top eight.